Hello, Grace family. As always, it's good to be together. And today is actually Pentecost Sunday. It's a Sunday where we celebrate the gift that we've been given in the Holy Spirit. And those of us who know Jesus have the living Christ actually living inside us. And we wanna be people who are aware of the power of the Holy Spirit, who are moving in this life, just inviting him to do a work, to move in and through us, that we're listening to him, that we are attuned to the work God wants to do. And we also are aware that he is interceding for us. He is praying for us. The spirit is speaking on our behalf to God himself. And so we just wanna celebrate that today by reading Pentecost in Acts 2. So join along with me. Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together now. Father, we just thank you that you have given us your spirit, and that you, the living Christ, are actually living in us, and that there's a power to that. Father, we pray that we would be living out of that power, that you would be moving and working through us, that we would be listening to the things you want to teach us, that we would be aware of you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the Spirit to testify for us, to groan for us, to pray for us. Uh, and Lord, we just um, we celebrate now that we don't walk this journey alone, but that you are with us and in union with us through your Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this now. We pray this in your name. Amen.
So as we continue looking at the power of God's word in our life, we'll be looking at two passages. Our first will be Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we give account. And John 5, 36 through 44, which is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. 
You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we conclude this this brief conversation about taking in the word of God regularly, going to the fountain of God's word to receive his grace, to receive his truth, so that our lives are grounded and they're refreshed and they're fruitful as we mature in our walk with God. And so on this final week, I want to try to get as practical as I can and and have us ask the question, how can each one of us regularly go to this word in ways that will work for us, given our our personalities and our life circumstances? And I want to begin by having you actually ask yourself a question, which is this. What is your relationship with the word like these days? Okay, so I, I want you to imagine you are in a relationship with the word of God. And what is your experience like? What is your experience of that relationship like these days? And just to use the relational analogy, you know, all relationships go through various seasons, right? A long-term friendship or a marriage, right? They all go through these seasons. So you think about in marriage, right? You have seasons of infatuation and excitement, seasons of just really wanting to get to know each other as much as possible, seasons where you're just kind of cruising along. Things aren't bad. Things aren't great. They're just fine. Uh, You can have seasons of disillusionment where that old flame isn't there anymore or seasons of you feel like things are distant between you or even seasons of open conflict, right? Every, Every relationship goes through various seasons. And so I want you to consider your relationship with this book and I want you to just ask yourself, what season are we in? <laughs> what, what, what is my experience like these days? And I ask that because the, the practical question that I want to get to at the end is this. How can we faithfully attend to whatever season we are in in our relationship with this book? What does faithfulness look like in this season of this relationship? So first, I want to look at these two passages uh, that will help shape our thoughts about the Word of God. So first, uh, we look at Hebrews 4, and sorry you didn't get to read that in context, but the context is you've got a group of people, uh, the Hebrews, who are um, who are tired. They're, they're facing persecution, they're facing challenges, and they're really being tempted to actually give up on their faith because it would feel like it would just be an easier life to not be a Christian. And so the author is encouraging them to keep on going, and he's warning them of the dangers of falling away, and he's using the Hebrew scriptures particularly the Psalms, to try to encourage them. So then in verse 12, he steps back to kind of talk about the scriptures that he's been quoting for them with this really famous couple of verses that many of us have known since we were little kids. So verse 12 begins with this phrase, for the word of God is living and active. He's reminding us the word of God is a living thing. It's not just a static thing. It's not just words on a page. It's not just a, hopefully not just a book that collects, you know, dust on a shelf, but it's a dynamic living reality. This book 
has a life of its own, the author is saying. And he goes on to give this really interesting image. Let me keep reading in verse 12. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He's, he's basically giving an image that's saying this, the word of God functions like a living surgeon. And he kind of gives a pretty graphic image of, you know, a surgeon deep in some surgical procedure where they're dividing between, you know, joints and marrows and the inner things that are going on in a surgical procedure. And the author is saying, that's what this word does to us, to our souls. It, it can take that those inner parts of us that no one else can see, even parts of us that maybe we're not even fully aware of, but it can see. And it, and it has the power to, to convict in those places and to heal and to, to transform, to, to cut to the core, we would say. All that to say, this, this book, it's, it's a living thing that has the power to do a deep transformative work in our core. And of course, the reason it's a living thing is because the living God speaks to us through this thing. And what's really interesting in this passage is how effortlessly the author moves from talking about God's word to talking about God himself. So in verse 12, he's just said that God's word, right, the scriptures can, can penetrate into those deep places and see into those deep places. Then in verse 13, he says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he almost effortlessly chants changes from talking about the word's ability to penetrate and see to God's ability to do that. And of course, the answer is because God is behind the word. And this is really what we celebrate on Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, in the new covenant. And what I want to say about the spirit in reference to the, the word of God today is that this is how God's word is alive to us because God speaks through his word by his Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed, right? And the, the Greek word for breath is the same as the word for spirit. That the, the scriptures are, are God-breathing truth through his Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit who who first breathed into those original authors, breathed into their minds and hearts so that they wrote down what it is that they did write down. And then today, the Spirit breathes through their words into our hearts and minds so that he can change us and convict us and transform us and do what he wants to do. And that's why this is a living and active thing, because the living God speaks in it through his Spirit. And I would imagine that that we could spend hours together talking about how this has happened in our lives, how, how God has used his word and his spirit has spoken through his word to change our lives, to convict us, to change our minds, to transform us in beautiful ways. Okay, so Hebrews 4, living and active, because the living and active God speaks through this word by means of his spirit to us today. So now let's go to the second passage the John 5 passage, and I want to kind of juxtapose these two passages next to each other, which I think gives us some interesting things to think about. So the context of chapter 5 in John is that Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath. 
and of course healing on the Sabbath, has sparked this controversy with, with the religious leaders of the day. And they're demanding that Jesus provide a witness, that, that you know, proof of that he has the right to do what he's doing on the Sabbath. And they end up getting in this conversation about the scriptures. And I want to narrow in on verse 39 and what Jesus says about the scriptures there. Verse 39, he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So he starts by speaking to these men and saying, you diligently study the scriptures. And that was so true, right? These guys had dedicated their lives to, in their case, the Hebrew scriptures, what we would know as the Old Testament. But they they knew it front and back. They had memorized most of it. I mean, they would have crushed us in any kind of Bible trivia, Bible knowledge quiz, right? They diligently studied it. But then he says this, you do that because you think that in them you have life. And here's what seems to be the problem, that this book, the scriptures for these men had become an end in and of itself, right? He, he was saying, you think that in them, that there's, there's life in the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, actually, there isn't life in the scriptures. There is only life in God alone. And the great irony for them is God, the word in the flesh was standing in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ, right? The the word made flesh was in their presence. And yet he says, you refuse to come to me. And the whole point of this book, the whole point of this word (laughs) is to draw us to that word, to the person of Jesus. And that's always been a very convicting thing for me to think about. Wow. So look at verse 38, something else he says about them. He says, nor does God's word dwell in you. Now, that's an amazing thing to say to these men. So apparently, you can diligently study the scriptures and yet not have his living and active word dwelling within you. And I think, again, it's because for them, scripture had become an end in and of itself. And really, as you read the passage, you realize, actually, scripture had become a means to human praise. The reason They did all of this. The reason they lived their lives is because they craved human praise and all their religiosity was just a way of of gaining human praise. And so for all of their time spent in the word, they had actually lost the living God of the word. They had lost his heart and his desires. And so you have men who spent so much time in the word, but their lives actually remained unchanged by the word, right? They were still full of greed, They're full of pride. They're full of self-righteousness. They lacked love. They lacked mercy. They lacked justice. And all of that with a lifetime spent in the scriptures. It's crazy. And I imagine some of us can think of people like this. People who we know read the Bible all the time. And yet after all these years of reading the Bible, they're still cranky people, still self-righteous, judgmental or fearful people, uh, unloving people, ungracious people. Okay, so... I want to step back. Taking those two passages together, we need to say two things. First, yes, the Word of God is living and active with the power to transform. And yet, apparently, there's a way of reading the Scriptures, of coming to the Scriptures that isn't living and active. Because in the end, life isn't found in the Scriptures, right? Life is found in the God of the Scriptures, And as a person who so deeply loves the word, has committed my life, I mean, my career (laughs) to the study of God's word, it it almost pains me to say this, but I think it's so true. 
The Bible doesn't transform people. The Bible doesn't save people, right? God transforms people. God saves people. And he does it as his spirit speaks through the Bible to people transforming their hearts. So again, on this Pentecost Sunday of all Sundays, it, it's, it bears repeating that in the end, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms. It's the Holy Spirit who comforts and heals. And the Bible is his great tool that he speaks through in order to do that. It's not his only tool, but it is by far his greatest tool in doing that. Okay, so stepping back from those two passages, here, here, here's my question for the day. In light of seeing those two passages, then here's what we need to be asking ourselves. How do we engage the scriptures so that the living and active word is actually transforming us? How do we engage the scriptures so that we make room for the spirit who speaks to the scriptures to actually do the kind of work that he wants to do? And here's how I want to encourage you to think about this. When you think about how I read this book, I want to encourage you to read it relationally. Read this book relationally. By by that, I mean read this book with the relationship with God in mind. So go to the scriptures, not just for the scriptures' sake, but go to the scriptures to find the person behind the scriptures, to find the God who speaks to you in the scriptures. So maybe a a really simple image that might be helpful would be this. Don't go to the scriptures as a wall, but go to the scriptures as a window. And I want to just give you this really simple diagram. So my observation is that a lot of people read the Bible like a wall, meaning the, the Bible is just sort of an end in and of itself. And they go to the Bible hoping for certain things, and they think they're going to get certain things from the Bible. But it's kind of just a closed loop, just me and the book doing our thing. And my observation is there, there's three really common ways that people read the Bible that I think are inadequate. They're good to an extent, but they're inadequate. Let me list them. So I think some people just read the Bible intellectually. That really, they come to the Bible and all they're doing is they're just thinking about the ideas. They love to think about the ideas. They're trying to solve the puzzle of ideas, but they, they primarily read intellectually. Other people primarily read emotionally. They they come to the Bible because there's an emotion they're experiencing that they maybe want to change or or get, right? They, usually they come to the Bible experiencing anxiety and they, they are hoping to get comfort, get peace from, from the Bible. And then other people read the Bible just pragmatically, right? They're doers and they're looking for that nugget from, from a passage that's going to tell them what to do today that they can implement and go on with their day. And I'm sure all of us, we have wirings that probably lean us more naturally to one of those than the other. And really all three of those, the intellect, the emotion, and the pragmatic, they're all important aspects of scripture, but they're inadequate for deep life transformation. And so I want to encourage instead that we think of reading the Bible relationally. And what I mean by that is rather than seeing the Bible as a wall, we see it as a window through which we experience God, right? So I think of it as this way. I'm engaging God through this book, and God is speaking to me through this book, but God is my my goal, not the book. So the beauty of of reading relationally is I actually get all those other three as I engage God, right? If if I'm engaging God through the Bible, there's a ton that I'm going to learn, 
right? There's a ton of ways I'm going to be comforted and, and receive emotions that are really helpful. And there's going to be a lot that I'm, I'm going to be given to do, but all of those find their proper place when God himself is the goal, not the book. All that to say, my encouragement is to read relationally. Go to the word in order to encounter the living God of the word. Seek the relationship through the word. Seek the conversation with God through the word. And, and I want to give you just if you don't know where to start in terms of engaging a passage of scripture, what I would call, as you think about the relationship with God, I want to give you four conversation starters that you can engage with God in any passage of scripture. These are so simple, but I'm going to put them up for you. First one, you read a passage of scripture. Here's a great conversation starter. God, what am I learning about you through this passage? Right In every passage, there's something that we're learning about God. We might learn about his grace. We might learn about his holiness. We might learn about his justice or his care for the needy or, or the seriousness with, with which he takes sin. Any number of things. What am I learning about you, God? What do you want to show me about who you are? Second, God, what am I learning about humanity? Or what am I learning about myself? What do I learn about the human heart in this passage? Do I learn that we are so selfish? Do I learn that we're, we're really precious to you? Do you really value us? Do, you, do we learn that, gosh, we're so apt to pride? What, do I, what am I learning about myself? Third, what am I learning about the good news? I think this is a really important question because there is good news in almost every passage of Scripture. Even even the judgment passage of of Scripture contain some good news about what this reveals about the kind of God that we have. And our hearts so desperately need to be taking in the good news every day. So what is the good news of this passage, Lord? And then finally, what am I learning about following you, Lord? What does is, what is discipleship look like? What are the joys of discipleship? What are, you know, what, what are the encouragements? What are the challenges? What are the costs? What are the surprises that come from? What does it look like to follow you, Lord? And engage God in a conversation with every passage. That is reading relationally. Okay, so I'm going to keep going for a couple more minutes because this is our final week on this. But I want to have you turn now to, after these three weeks, to consider your own life. We spent three weeks talking about the word, and I want you to be thinking, okay, so in light of this, what's my plan? Like, what, what's my intentional plan moving forward? And I, and I really want to challenge you this week to actually carve out some time with the Lord to consider this. I would encourage you to take an hour or so, sometime this week, step back with the Lord and prayerfully consider, God, what is my plan? And I want to give you a couple thoughts and tools for that conversation. So again, I want to go back to that opening idea that that you're in a relationship, right, with this book. You're in a particular season in that relationship. And so what I would encourage you to think about in your time with the Lord is this. What would faithfulness to the season I'm in with this book look like right now? Like, Like, what season am I in? What is needed in this season? And what would faithfulness look like? And as you answer that question, I Let me just suggest that every plan, whatever season you're in, every plan requires two basic postures, commitment and flexibility, okay? So, right, think about every relationship requires commitment. Every long-term relationship um, requires commitment. And we need to remember that there there are certain relationships that are just worth fighting for, right? Uh, When they're good, but even when they're hard, there's relationships that are important enough that we need to say, this is worth fighting for. 
Marriages are worth fighting for. Long-term friendships are worth fighting for. And our relationship with this book is well worth fighting for, whether the season we're in is one of abundance or when it's a season of dryness and conflict uh, and distance, it is worth fighting for. And that requires an, a commitment and, and saying, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persevere because this is worth, what we have is worth fighting for. And so we have to believe that. We have to believe it's worth it. And we have to make commitments to it. So there's a commitment needed. But secondly, there's, of course, there's this flexibility that's needed in any relationship. And again, going back to the marriage relationship, you think about the different seasons of your marriage and how different they are, those of you that are married. Those first couple years of marriage um, are so different than the early parenting years. And those are so different than the later parenting years. And those are different than the empty nest years and even the years beyond that. And so the goal in that relationship relationship can't be, how do we get back to that other stage, right? How do we get out of this stage and get back to that other stage? The question is always simply, how do we be faithful to the stage that we're in? What does faithfulness look like in this particular stage? And I, I want to encourage you to think that way about the Bible, right? We can't always be going, oh, how do I get back to that, that time I had when the word was this for me? The question is simply, what season am I in? And what is faithfulness in this season? And what we have to trust, and I really want to encourage you in this, is that God has a work that he wants to do in every season of our relationship. He has a work in the abundance. He has a work in the desert, in the wilderness. And so the only question that matters is not, how do I get back to that season? Or how do I get out of this season as quickly as I can? But simply, what is faithfulness in this season? What is needed in this time? And there's there's a flexibility right? Needed for that. So I want to encourage you to take time and to say, I'm going to commit to a commitment, but I'm also going to commit to a certain kind of flexibility. And I want to leave you with just really, really painfully um, obvious and practical issues. But let me just leave you with these simple ideas that that every plan, whatever it's going to be, um, needs a couple things. Uh, You need a time and place to read this. I mean, duh, right? But every plan needs a time and place. Like this has to hit your schedule in some way if it's going to work. And so what I I would encourage you to think about your schedule. But before you try to impose some schedule that looks really good on paper, you know, I think you've got to ask these basic questions like, how does my life actually work? Like, how does my schedule actually work? What are my natural rhythms? My, my natural windows for doing this kind of thing? Where are the places where I can do this? How am I wired? Am I a morning person? Am I an evening person? Am I an outdoor person? Am I a, more of a cozy indoor person, right? For some of us, first thing in the morning is going to be that, that, that time. For me, that's me. Like, I want the first thing I do every day to be time in God's Word. So I either have a chair that I go to or I go into our backyard. That works well for me. I'm a morning person. I'm, I wake up and I'm ready to go. Um, But some of us, you know, that's going to be maybe taking some unhurried time towards the end of the day. Um, And some of us need to get creative. We need to be flexible. For some of us, home life is crazy. Work life is crazy. And so maybe it's going from work, (laughs) uh, from home to work. There's a park that we need to stop off at for 10, 15 minutes. Or even go to the parking lot at work and read before we, we jump into the office. Or we need to listen, you know, in the car on the way there. Some of us in our life stage, like an early parenting stage where... Maybe the win is just putting the Bible in the right 
you know, room in the house, like maybe the bathroom, <laughs> you need a Bible in the bathroom because that's your one sanctuary place that you have or a bedroom or wherever it is. You just need to put the Bible in the right place because you know that's where you will pick it up and read it. So you need to think through what is the time and place that's actually going to work for me and then commit to it. And then finally, I promise this will be my final, um, you need to think through what am I going to read? And how am I going to read it? And what I, I want to encourage you, I really want to encourage you to avoid some kind of random reading of this where you pick it up, you know, one week you, you just kind of go, you know, okay, it's just Micah looks good. Micah, sure. And then you don't pick it up for a week and then you pick it up again. You just kind of randomly, that, that's what we want to avoid. You want to have some sort of intentional way of walking through parts of the scriptures. And so again, ask the question, what season am I in? And, and how can I read this? What could I read this that would be faithful to this season? Uh, some of you might be in a season where you're like, I just want to know the scope of Scripture. I want to know the story. And so you should be reading for breadth. Just read a lot and start at the beginning and read the story. Uh, some of us might be in really busy times where it's like, man, all I need, I really need to slow down. And so for you, you need to take in like five verses and just sit quietly for 10 minutes with five verses and, and just center yourself around that. Maybe you just need to start reading until something grabs your attention and you stop. That's where you stop for the day and you ponder that thing and then you pick up with the next verse the next day until something else grabs your attention. Um, some of you are ready to learn a ton. You, you should be diving in with commentaries. Some of you are needing a deep heart work and maybe you, again, you need a little bit of scripture and a lot of journaling to process what you're reading. Um, some of you are readers some of you are better listeners. So some we should be reading the book, some we should be listening on audio. For some of us, a phone will be a really helpful tool to read the Bible. For some of us, a phone should be the last thing we should be picking up because of all the distractions on it. And we need physical, you know, leather-bound paper Bible. Some of us, we can read on our own great. Some of us, we need fellowship. We need to be doing this with somebody else. We need to grab someone and say, will you do this with me? Can we be reading through the same things? Let's be texting throughout the, throughout the week. All that to say, know thyself, know who you are, make a commitment, but have a flexibility. So I know that was a little longer today, but I encourage you to take some time this week. And what I've done is uh, in the email that the video comes on, I've included a one page um, just document that has a bunch of different resources, Bible reading plans, uh, apps that you can use, and those questions that you can ask the passages. So a simple one page resource to help shape your thinking and maybe give you some tools that will help you move on. So however we do this, let's be people who, as Psalm 1 said, who delight in the word of God and who meditate on his word day and night. Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold But He must hold me fast he will hold
Those he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast Precious in his holy sight He will hold me fast He'll not let my soul be lost His promises shall last Bought by him at such a cost He will hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me Christ will hold me fast Justice has been satisfied He will hold me fast Raised with Him to endless life He will hold me fast Till our faith is turned to sight comes at last Oh, He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so For my Savior loves me so Well, as always, we hope that you've been encouraged by today's message, and we invite you to consider the reflection questions that we'll put on the screen. And may your times in the Word be rich in the coming weeks. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all now and always. Amen.